Thank you for taking the time to view this message online. You can connect with us more through our comments section of this video, through our Facebook page, or through our website, nhgj.org. Well, it is so good to be reminded of God's faithfulness. And we are reminded when we tell our own stories of what God has done. And we share our testimony, our witness to the work of God in our lives. But it's also great when we hear from others as well and uh, get to hear how God has been faithful to other people. It lifts us up together. It gives us this mutual encouragement about God's great faithfulness to us. And so I want to encourage you, share your own testimony, your own word of God's faithfulness with somebody this week. Uh, tell somebody how God has, either in the past or in the present, how he has shown himself faithful to you. That's really the focus of the message series that we're in right now. We're talking about faithful from generation to generation. And we're looking at the covenants uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, not all of them, but the, the main ones that we come across. And there's a lot of covenants that have been made. And uh, so we're just kind of taking those highlights from the Old Testament in ways that God has covenanted with people throughout time to show his faithfulness to us. So far, we've looked at Abraham and God's covenant with Abraham. He said to Abraham, I will make you a father of many nations and kings will come from your lineage. And so God was so committed to this covenant, this promise that he had made to Abraham, that he changed his name from Abram to Abraham. Abram, meaning that he is a honorable father, to Abraham, which means the father of multitudes. And so God was fully committed to Abraham, even when Abraham didn't have any children. Uh, so this wasn't something that God was looking at Abraham and showing his faithfulness by covenanting, by using what Abraham had. Instead, it was God looking at him and saying, it doesn't matter what you have, this is my promise to you what I'm going to accomplish. So. God shows his faithfulness to Abraham in speaking to his most barren moments and giving promises even when it didn't seem to Abraham that it was possible. But by faith, Abraham believed God and took him at his word. And through this, we see Abraham as the father of nations. Next, we looked at Moses and the covenant that God made with Moses regarding the Israelites. Now, this one wasn't specifically a covenant to Moses, but it was Moses was the intermediary or the contact uh, between the people of Israel and God. God had delivered them out of Egypt, and so now here they are camped at the base of Mount Sinai. And before they enter into the promised land, God gives them uh, the, the commands of how they're going to interact with him, how they're going to interact with one another as a nation. And so in this moment at Sinai, God covenants with the people of Israel and says, I will be your God, you will be my people, and you will be to me a nation of priests, a holy nation. And so they're called to be this unique people and represent God to the world. And the sign of this covenant, where in Abraham it was circumcision uh, of, the, of the men, uh, in, in the Mosaic covenant, uh, is Israeli covenant, it is uh, the Sabbath. They are to keep the Sabbath as a sign of this covenant that they will work for six days, but when they rest, it's going to be a sign to everyone around them that God is faithful and he is taking care of them. 
Well, this message turns our attention to David and the Davidic covenant. And God had chosen David to be king over Israel. He had decided and, and Saul had, by his choices, had excluded himself from God's blessing. And God moved on from Saul and he put his blessing on David as king. And in this way, uh, this, we see this continuation from Abraham because from Abraham, uh, we see Judah, one of the tribes, and from David uh, comes this, out of the tribe of Judah, David comes and God blesses David. And so it continues this same promise along the same lines uh, from Abraham, he, uh, David comes and he receives this promise from God that God's hand of blessing is upon him. Uh, from David's line, there will be uh, one king after another, there will never cease to be someone who is on the throne out of David's line. And of course, right from the beginning, we can um, look ahead and we can see Jesus, who is of the line of David, uh, and Jesus is the eternal king on the throne. And so we know, uh, just because of our place in history, we know that God has fulfilled this fully, completely in Jesus Christ. And we'll hear more about that next week as we look at the new covenant that we have in Christ. Well, let's pray and we're going to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7 and we'll look at the covenant that God made with David and how it speaks to us today. Lord, we thank you for your word and uh, we thank you so much that you are a covenant-making God, that you uh, commit yourself to us in ways that are binding and that's no, uh, no more evident than in the life of your son, Jesus Christ, that you have made this covenant with us uh, to be our God and for us to be your people. We thank you for David and what we look at in this message and how we see uh, your kingly line, uh, how it comes through David and extends to Jesus, but how it also gives us this opportunity to rule and reign with him as co-heirs. And we thank you that this continues on today in our life. So may we hear the word today. May, may we uh, experience its blessing in our own lives, the fruit of it in our lives, and may it bless others as we live it out. Amen. Well, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through 17, this is where it speaks of God's covenant with David. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Now, when the king lived in his house, speaking of David, lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people out of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving around in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep. 
that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time I appointed judges over my people of Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Now, to me, this is such a beautiful passage about God's love and his relationship uh, with David and just the way that they interacted with one another. Here's David in this moment, and he's looking at his own life, and he says out to Nathan, the prophet, he says, wow, look, God has been so good to me. And, and it, the scripture points to this idea that God had put him at rest. God had given him peace. It was the Lord's hand that had brought it about. And so David recognized this. He says, God's been so good to me. I've been on the receiving end of his blessing so much. And he says, now I'm at rest. I have a moment to do something other than fight wars and build this nation, other than just securing my people. What, what do I want to do, David is saying out loud. David's reply to this is, I want to build a place for the ark of God where his presence is so that it can be at rest with us. It's been in this tent all this time, moving around place to place, this this tent of insecurity and that's fragile and is vulnerable. And I want it to be in a house of cedar, just like I'm living in. David looks around and sees where he's living. I want to build this place for God's presence. Now, this really is such a beautiful sentiment. Uh, David saying, I don't need me time now. I want to do something to bless God. And I absolutely love this because David is not saying, I'm going to, now that I've accomplished this, now that I've established Israel as a nation and I've risen as king and I have a house and, you know, I, I, all this great stuff I've done as king. David doesn't do any of that. He says, now that I've got a moment, I'm at peace. What do I want to do? I want to do something to bless God. Isn't that just beautiful? He's, I, I want to, I want to, I don't want to build a monument to myself. I want to do something that would honor God. How many times do we see leaders, do we see people who attain some measure of success? And in that moment where they recognize their success and where they're at in life, they say, now it's really time to cash in on all of this. <laughs> Now's the time for me to get a book deal or a speaking tour. I'm gonna strike while the iron is hot. 
and I want to cash in on my accomplishments. Now it's more. I mean, now that the time of rest is here, I, I really want to take advantage of it for me. <laughs> Isn't that sad? Even within the church, we've seen it where it gets real ugly real quick as those leaders forget that it is by God's grace and God's hand and it's the Lord's favor upon them that brought them to the place where they're at anyways. It's God who's given them the influence they have in life. It's God who has shown them favor and put his hand upon their life. It's, it's the Lord who causes one to rise and another to fall and one to gain prominence and that same one to lose that prominence and fall into some measure of obscurity. People forget this. Leaders especially are prone to forget this and they think it's by their own hand, by their own gifting and skills that they've gotten this measure of prominence and this blessing in their life. I was listening recently to a podcast that I highly recommend. If you have the opportunity, you can go out on the web and, and search for it. Uh, it's called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. And it's a very well done exploration into the life of a church. Uh, it's the leadership of Mark Driscoll and the Mars Hill Church that was up in the Seattle, Washington area. And it follows them in this storytelling um, uh, kind of outline of, of what happened with the church as it went from a church plant to exploding into a mega church with thousands upon thousands who are attending and, and watching and listening uh, online and, and just the influence that this church had, multiple campuses. And so it looks at all that happened there as, as Mark Driscoll led this and it all of a sudden goes into this massive church that had such great influence and then it just begins to implode under his leadership as it becomes more and more toxic as he becomes more controlling and becomes more narcissistic and makes it more and more about himself and there's so many lessons for us to learn in the body of christ again the rise and fall of mars hill it's wherever you listen to podcasts if you go out and search for it uh, on the web, you'll find it. But there's so many lessons for us. It's not just about Mark Driscoll and, and just how you know unsavory that whole experience is as it lays that out, or it's more than just Marcel. It's about the church, it's about us. It's about the body of Christ and how we fail to learn the lesson and walk in humility before the Lord and recognize that it's His grace, it's His work in our life. It's by His hand that things get accomplished and his kingdom is at work. And instead, the, the tendency of so many leaders and people that rise to prominence is, is that they speak about making a brand for themselves, making a name that becomes known. And, and they're the ones that are put out front, this personality-driven church that is really disgusting and in light of who Christ is, that the church is about him and, and not human personalities. And, and it talks about the marketing and all the ways that we tend to do church now versus Jesus who is the servant of all and he dies this lowly death on a cross. What a contrast it points to. What a contrast of what the church has become, especially in the North American church in the United States with book deals and this great prominence that pastors and Christian speakers have 
And here's Jesus taking the lowly path. Here's our master and Lord, who is the meekest and lowest among us. And yet we're talking about the brand, about how many clicks and likes and all of these things. Well, that's a tangent, but it's the connection is back to David, right? David is the same heart of Jesus. David rises to prominence. He's got a house. He's, he's set Israel by God's hand upon him. Israel is at peace with its neighbors. And David says, listen, I don't want more glory and praise for me. I want to do something for God. And it's really beautiful to see David's heart in that. Let me just highlight this idea to capture this before we move on, is that the, the world will tell you to identify your brand and promote it, but the way to a life of fullness is to make sure that you're putting God's presence as a priority in your life. And this is exactly what David did. David didn't prop up his name. He didn't have parades and monuments to himself. He said, how is it that I live in a house and God's ark, the, his presence, that we're still seeing it in a tent. He's like, I want, I want God to have a prominent place. I want God to be established in our midst, his presence not to be at risk or, or to be carried off. I want it to have a prominent place with us. This is what David wants. He knows it doesn't do him any good to make a great name for himself if God's presence is not attended to. David knows it's not going to help him if his kingdom is expanded, but God is forgotten. David knows that his kingdom, David's leadership, it'll all be forgotten unless God is great in his life and God has the most prominent place in his life. So where we're at in the story is that all of this sounds good to David and Nathan the prophet. Uh, David mentions this, I want to do this for God. Nathan says, God's hand and favor is upon you, David. Just go and go and do it. And uh, God, God will just bless it, you know. But it's later that night, God speaks to Nathan. So that was Nathan's first reaction. But then God speaks to Nathan and tells him to go back to David. And that instead of David building a place for the ark and for God's presence, God says, I'm going to bless him and I'm going to bless my people through him. I'm going to put this nation at rest and it's from David's line, one of his very own, that I'm going to build a house. One of his descendants, his son, is going to build this house for the name of God and for the greatness of God. What a turn of events, right? Here's David saying, I want to do something great for God. And God's saying, you know, th this isn't my plan. My plan is to bless you, David. Here's what I want to do is do something to honor you and to extend your line. And this is the promise that God makes to David. Now we could view this, you look at this passage and the way it's laid out, we could view this as a reprimand of David. In some ways, it's God asking the question, right? Uh, you're going to build me a house? You can't build me a house. Um, <laughs> I don't need you to build me a house. I've been in a tent. I've never asked anybody to build me a house. And so we can read it with that bent and, you know, basically read into it. God saying, I don't need your stinking house, David. Uh, I, I'm fine taking care of myself. But we would be missing it because God also doesn't reject the idea outright. 
you notice he doesn't rebuke David for thinking of it because he says, one of your descendants will actually do this, will build a house for me. And so it's not that God is rejecting the idea or rebuking David for thinking of it, because if that was the case, again, God wouldn't bring it up in his promise to David. So we don't want to get focused on the idea of God reprimanding David for offering to build a place for the ark. Instead, here's where we should put our focus. This is the covenant that God makes with David. David has this heart of worship and he desires that God's presence be established in himself, in Israel, and within his family. And he wants it to be ongoing. So out of this heart, David says, how is it that we should all have these permanent places and God's presence should be in something temporary? And so you get a sense of this heart of worship and passion for God's presence. And it's because of this heart for God's presence that God covenants with David to establish his presence, for God to establish his presence with David's line and his household, not just temporary, not just in a house, but forever. David is thinking physically, right? David is thinking, let's make sure that God's presence can be with us because the ark is going to be here. David is thinking physically of making room for God, but God takes it a step farther. I mean, this is so amazing how God does this. He goes a whole step farther that David can't even fathom. And he says, David, I don't need you to build me a house because I'm going to make room in your whole lineage for my presence. You are going to be a king and there's going to be kings seated on the throne from your line for the rest of eternity. Again, it points to Christ and that out of David's line comes Jesus and Jesus is on the throne forever. But this is God's heart in his response back to David. Whether there's a building there or not, David, my presence is going to be with you and with your line from generation to generation, from now through all of eternity. In other words, God's saying, I'm going to give you more than you're asking for, David. You want to do something nice for me? Well, watch what I'm going to do for you. And God makes a covenant with David and says, because you love me, because you want to honor my name, I'm going to honor my name in your midst forever. And out of your lineage will come a king who will be on the throne forever and ever. I really want you to catch this because it's still true today in our relationship with Jesus Christ. This isn't just about David and history and redemptive history and times past. This is really about the here and the now in our relationship with Jesus. If you will make keeping God and his presence uh, a priority in your life, if you will set your heart on making sure that there is always room for God in your life. And I don't just mean that you've compartmentalized a time of the week for God. I mean that it is a priority that before you pursue your dreams, your goals, making your life great, if you pursue making God's name great in your life, God will establish your way, your way that blesses you, but carries out blessings for multiple generations. Let me wrap it up this way. God shows his faithfulness to us by extending his presence beyond our places of worship. God desires that we don't just contain or that we would just hold his presence in little pockets or little moments 
or even in churches, church buildings, that we don't think that, that we can just contain it to that spot. But if, like David, we are so passionate about God's presence and we say, how can I build up this life? How can I honor myself? How is it that I would build a monument or a life that is so pleasing to me, but I would forget God? That I would somehow uh, allow his presence to be an afterthought or to take a lower place than my own life? David says, it should not and it will not be with me. God so honors that and he so honors it in your life that he says, listen, if you will make having my presence with you a priority, said then I will not only bless you, but I will multiply that blessing out through multiple generations. It will be a, a signifier of your life that my presence with, was with you and it went from your life from generation to generation that others know saw how I worked in your life. They would know that I'm with you. We see this so clearly as the Holy Spirit descended upon the early church as they gathered, right? We see this in David's life. God says, I'm not going to take my spirit away from you like I did with Saul and rejected him. God says, I won't reject you and I won't reject your descendants. There will always be somebody who is with me. And so to the early church, the Holy Spirit, I'm not going to take it, but I'm going to actually put the Spirit of God within you and it will never depart. But hear this, please hear this. It doesn't just happen because we, we think we're in the right place or we go to a place where God's presence might be. It's because we are intentional about making space and making God's presence a priority in our lives. It didn't happen because David built a brand, his own brand and his own kingdom. It didn't happen because the disciples were living their best life with Jesus. It happened, don't get me started. It happened because they had passion for the glory of God in their midst. And this culture, this world around us tells us, live your best life now. And somehow that's by buying the right stuff, going to the right experiences, traveling to different parts of the world, uh, having the, 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 the best possessions in your life, uh, having a, a hot, a great Instagram or uh, social media account that tells the world what it's like, getting lots of likes and follows. I mean, all of this is so temporal and so small compared to what God wants to do by making sure that his presence is in our life. He desires that. He's asking you and he's asking me, do you desire that? Do you desire that more than anything? Or do you desire to make a, a life and a name for yourself? Do you desire to make God's name great in your life and make room for him so that people see the glory of God in your midst more than they see the blessing of God just in your possessions and the way that you've carved out a life for yourself. May it be, oh God, may it be of us that we would be like David, that we are vigilant in making sure that we don't overlook God's presence in our life, that we don't get so busy with God's blessing and his favor upon our life that we forget to that somehow we would miss that God's presence isn't a priority. No, no, may it be that we have a passion for God's presence in our life. David would worship continuously. The early church prayed continuously. They made room for the Spirit's presence. 
David gave sacrificially. He wanted God to be glorified in his giving. It costs them something and it will cost something of each of us to secure God's presence in our midst. It will cause us resisting against all the other things that want to take that space of God's presence. They want to fill in where God says, I'll be there, I will be your God and you will be my people. But it's gonna require that it's a priority for us. It will cost us something. Is it because God needs it? It's not because God needs it. It's because we need it. It's because the type of blessing he wants to pour out on our lives only comes when we're willing to do whatever it takes to ensure that his presence is with us. That type of passion, that type of vigilance comes from people like you, people like me, comes from people, his body, who say, we'll give up whatever it takes, we'll make whatever sacrifices are needed so long as God's presence is with us. That's what we can't do without. Well, this message, we're going to receive communion, and so now's a good time if you need to pause, and uh, we'll come back together in just a moment and receive communion together. So we hold the bread and we hold the cup. We think about making a name, right? Making a name not for ourselves, but making the name of Jesus great. Jesus himself said, if he is lifted up, he would draw all men to himself. Not because he was doing popular things, not because he was making a brand, (laughs) but because he was leading us into a new way. Because he was offering the way. Because he was offering life. So I know for myself, Seeing Jesus lifted up and his work on the cross, it's what drew me, is wanting to experience truly the life. Not the life that I could make or a name that I could make for myself, but a life that I so desperately wanted and needed that could only be found and and can only be experienced through accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. When we receive the bread and the cup, we remember the work that Christ has done. This is our fellowship, our common union, is around Christ and around his table. And so as we hold the bread, we remember that it is his presence in our midst that we're passionate about. It's worshiping together at the table. It's worshiping the lamb who was slain for all of mankind, this is our union in him and one with another. It's because of his work that we have fellowship with the Father. It's because of his work that the Spirit abides within us. The three, Father, Son, and Spirit, and then us as his bride, his church, joined together with him in communion. So you hold the bread. Lord, we thank you for your body that was given given to the cross and sacrificed so that we could have fellowship one with another, but most importantly also with you, that we could have fellowship with the Spirit who abides in us, that we could receive the gift of life that you have for us. So thank you 
Jesus, that you didn't pursue a name of greatness for yourself, but you pursued our best interest. You pursued what we needed and you thought so little of preserving your own life that you put it below what we needed. You sacrificed yourself for us. We thank you for being lifted up, being willing to be lifted up on the cross so that you could draw us to yourself. We thank you for the bread and we receive it now. This cup that represents the new covenant, it is not the blood of bulls and rams and, uh, and of animals, Lord, but this is the blood of the Lamb of God who was slain to cover sin once and for all so that repeated sacrifices are not needed, but the one which is sufficient for us. We thank you that this blood covers our sin covers over our shame and our brokenness and makes us whole, that makes us rightful heirs because of the covenant you made with us. We thank you that it, it welcomes us into the presence, that there's no longer the dividing wall that keeps us separated from your presence, but we can boldly come into the throne room of God. What a privilege that is, but it's because of your shed blood for us. We thank you that what David longed for, to have your presence with him all the time, we now experience in Jesus. We now experience, not in perfection, but we're experiencing it in the here and now through your kingdom that has come to us. And we look forward to experience it, experiencing it in perfection when we're face to face. We thank you for this, this cup, this cup of the new covenant. And we remember and we receive it so that we can be boldly in your presence and never be separated from you. We thank you, Lord. We receive it. Well, I encourage you, go in God's presence. Because of Christ, you never have to leave his presence. You don't have to build a cedar house for his presence. He is within you. As you've received Christ, he is within you, the presence of God. And so go with his favor and his blessing upon you, living in the fullness of the life that he has for you. God bless you. You can find more resources for this service at nhgj.org. Email us your prayer requests to prayer at nh4gj.org. If you are a new follower of Jesus, we have a free resource for you called Following Jesus. To receive a copy, send a request to info at nh4gj.org. If you would like to partner with our ministry through giving, you can do that online at nhgj.org giving or by mail to 641 Horizon Drive, Grand Junction, Colorado, 81506. Thank you for being with us and may the Lord bless you.